We are blessed with a Taysom Hill versus Zach Wilson matchup this weekend in the NFL. So, who are you cheering for? Yes. Correct. I'm cheering for yes. Yes. My dad just texted me, great show again today. Dad, the show's not over. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. We welcome sharpshooter Trevin Nell back to Studio B. BYU basketball, 8-1 and one on the season after beating a really good Utah State team last night with a bunch of guys that you know very well. Trevin, what's that game like emotionally for you to play in? Um, like I said last night, it's super fun. The atmosphere is incredible, and hands down to the Rock, they we were just talking about it. But Greg, I'm just letting you know that there is a free throw defense out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's so tough to shoot free throws it into the tough. Rock. It is tough. <laughs> nine of twenty, they start zero of six, and that really like you guys kind of had a nine to twelve point lead, and yes, it got down to seven, sixty nine, sixty two, and was real stagnant there for a minute, but. The inability of Utah State to make free throws, and then the ability uh, to make three-pointers in this game was big. What was it like for you and the others to kind of get into a rhythm that way? You made three in the first half. I think it was a huge relief, you know. Um, T. John Lucas and Alex Barcelo, they always talk to me about, hey, the next one's in, the next one's in. you got to think like that. And even um, one of our coaches, Coach Feger and um, Bobby, he always tells me, he's like, hey, you never miss your next shot. And so that's just something they keep reiterating to me every single day. And that's helped me a ton, you know. And I told everybody, I said, today's the day. And, you know, it really showed. <laughs> mm, okay, I like that confidence. We're uh, In the pregame show, we were talking about, okay, right now Alex Barcel and Spencer Johnson have combined for 45%. Everybody else, 19 You guys are way better shooters than that. And we knew that. And it was just fun to, like, see it go down. What, what role in the success of this team does three-point shooting have? I think it's a huge role, and the fact that we're winning games without it right now is huge. It's amazing. We're playing great defense, we're rebounding, and so if we add that, we're going to be even scarier. You have breathing room. We have a little more You don't have room. to fight it out <laughs> to the last second. I know, think without it last threes. night, it's uh, you know a tight game at the end, mm-hmm. but you guys end up winning by 11. Exactly. Yeah. Now, you told us on BYU Basketball Media Day that you had worked on a lot of things other than just three-point shooting, specifically your ability to score the basketball off the dribble, and we've seen that manifest itself with your floater and, and your ability to do that, not just last night, but against Missouri State. Um, when you are knock, knocking down those shots, does that help you three-point shooting? How does that work mentally? Uh, it works really well, you know, because now someone has to respect me off the dribble, and Coach Figure and I, we've worked a ton. We call it Figure Finishes, and so we do a ton of those little eight-foot floaters. He wait, did he call this or you? <laughs> I think it was Alex. I think Alex started okay. calling it figure finishes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think it plays a huge role and it gives me a little more breathing room to be able to get a little more space on my three. And once that first shot goes, it's it's a different ball game. It's on, he said that baby. last night. He said, Hey, look game. out if I make that first one. Yeah, it's a we, different ball we game. Take a look. Yeah, you're getting into the lane and getting kind of this eight to ten footer, which is which is awesome. Okay, um, starting the last two games. Uh, what has that done for your confidence? Obviously, no Gavin. You always gone a little smaller. You're into the starting lineup. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited, and it was a dream come true to be able to play and start in front of the Rock and you know a huge atmosphere like that. Was that your first start at home? No, you had started before. Right? I started last year, but it was okay. a whole COVID thing. Yeah, so yeah. It was just different, and okay, it's yeah, definitely yeah. different when you have a full house. Yeah. Um, but Coach Pope has a lot of trust in me right now, and I have a lot of confidence in him. And 
you know, our whole team just trusts each other. So it doesn't matter who's starting out there. We just play together. Are you a pregame dap guy with the other team? Because sometimes it's like, no, it's on. We're not interacting with these guys. <laughs> but other times, like, hey, what's up? Uh, me and Brock. Me and Brock said what's up to each other, but that was really about it. I was like, I'm only going to say hi to Brock. <laughs> <laughs> it's on. It's it the spirit on. of competition. Utah State, it's BYU. Yeah, I love it. What's the best part of playing as a nationally ranked team, number 24 right now? Um, You know, it makes us have to play at a certain level every single game because we kind of have a target on our backs. Every single game is a huge game for the other team. So it's like, hey, they're going to strap it on, we got to strap it on. And so it's, it really helps prepare us for a conference, the conference tournament, and for the NCAA tournament when it comes. Okay, the emotions of the last eight days have been uh, varied, I imagine. Um, eight minutes into the UVU game, Gavin goes down. It's a raucous crowd. It's a road game. It's crazy. You lose that one. How, how did you guys rebound so successfully the last two games in two big games, uh, two quad two games? Um, I think the biggest thing we talked about was that we can't have excuses. And we look at each other in, in each other's eyes every single time when we break the huddle and we just say, hey, we trust each other. You know, if some other team goes on a run, we got to stick together. We can't have one person go off on their own or we can't get mad at each other. We just got to stick together and hold everybody accountable. And that's something we talked about before the Utah State game and the Missouri State game. And so it's kind of our little thing that we talk about, and it's kind of becoming who we are. How do you avoid making excuses, especially when we find out after the fact that five guys on your team are really sick with flu-like symptoms, Gideon George is not playing? How do you overcome that and stay away from the no-excuses mentality? Um, Coach Pope said it best. He just talked about it. He said, hey, the other team doesn't care if we're sick. You know, ESPN, the, the rankings don't care if we're sick. Nobody cares. So the fact that we can just trust each other and worry about the things that matter, the things that we can control, it kind of helps us not worry about you know, the excuses or the things we can't. Have you been to South Dakota before? I haven't, and I heard they have like four three-pointers up in the Pentagon. Up they there, they so. do. They have four <laughs> three-point lines. It's, uh, I'm trying to think of why they would have four, of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they'd have four. Is they? there a G League team up there? <laughs> Maybe I'm I'm thinking high yeah high school college because women's lines same as the men's now right same. yeah um and then NBA and but I saw a picture last night taken of a game or that was played there recently with four separate three point okay lines. I've always thought that playing on like an NBA court is is tough for a shooter because you're always going to pick that deepest line exactly. like like the you initiate the offense further out is that true um our coaches always say hey that's not our three point line mm -hmm. and. They won't say to like certain guys because I'm like, okay, wherever the farthest one is, I'm gonna shoot probably another That's foot back. That's what I'm back. talking about. So I'll shoot a little farther even from yeah. that Do line. Do you care? <laughs> the deep threes, they do they resonate differently when you knock down a deep three compared to a three up at the line? Does that resonate differently with you? Um, if I hit a deep one, I think my confidence is definitely gonna go even more like higher and I was even talking to Alex I was like hey just because you miss a couple deep ones just let that thing go and he's like hey I got you you just keep shooting for me yeah. um but yeah I think it's definitely a confidence builder and you know once one goes you know anything can go with this new rotational look of going small um this ha kind of hey, we're not that small we're not that small <laughs> right right but I mean like Foose is playing the five at like six seven one not mm -hmm. but like his reach is so long you know that. <laughs> and Caleb's so tough right defensively um you kind of have to make this sustainable. So what? Because we don't know if we're gonna have Rich back at all. Um, what, what's the conversation like of, of like? Okay, we have to make this work 
this season. And you'll probably have a matchup with Timmy and Holmgren where it's like, all right, you got someone that's a little undersized guarding uh, McLovin, Chet Holmgren, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. Uh, you know, we pride ourselves on toughness and defense and rebounding. So if we're guarding somebody bigger or anything like that, we know if a shot goes up, we're not going to let that guy get it. And we'll let our guards or Alex or Tijon try to come and clean everything up. But our toughness is something special, and I think that we kind of showed that, especially during the Missouri State game and other games this season. But, yeah, our toughness is special, and these guys are, you know, we, we work really well together. And that's why we're best locker room in America. We can lose some guys and still be able to fight. This could have devastated the team. You could have lost more. You could have fallen out of the rankings. How did it not? I think we're earning a lot of respect right now from everybody around. And, yes, we lost to a rival, you know, a couple of miles down the road. It doesn't define us, and it's not anything that's going to hurt us down the long run, but we're, you know, we use that as a huge stepping stone for us, and we, we're not going to let that happen again. And so we, we figured out some things, and uh, something that we we're really trying to work on is our pace. Coach Pope always talks about our pace and how we need to you know, fly down the court if we need to walk it up and then go into our offense. So we, that's what we need to do, but you know, just trusting each other and that pace really helps. Trevin, I know you and all of BYU basketball are locked in on what's happening all around BYU athletics. We saw the videos of you watching the soccer team win at the College Cup awesome. in the Final Four. That was really fun. You're paying attention to BYU women's volleyball. You're sitting next to us. They just won set three, 25-21. So Let's BYU, go. the 11 seed, is up two sets to one on the six seed, Purdue. You asked a great question, Trevin. You said, why is BYU women's volleyball the number 11 seed? After being ranked fifth. As high as number four at one yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. It's because RPI sucks, Trevin. That, <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's uh, we've, we've come a, pretty much what it comes down we've to. We've come a long way, Spence. <laughs> there were times where we bickered and fought over this. Thank you. Uh, you had to yeah. embrace it when it was there, but now that – No, I didn't. No, you I just don't. Not. I did not. <sighs> yeah, so seating, ranking is an opinion poll. Seating is based on, like, RPI and – Strength their schedule. But RPI you, sucks, then. RPI sucks, exactly. <laughs> In basketball, it's better because there's net, like – the NCAA worked with Google to come up with this sorting tool that's better. You guys are 21. Mm-hmm. Um, Ken Palm, you're what, 23 or 24? Things are going well right now. Things you're a top well. 25 team, man. Exactly, and we're top 25 in a lot of sports right now, and so that's something super cool. And like you guys just talked about, we were all super excited to watch soccer. Um, they had a heck of a run, and you know it was history, and we're all about making history here at BYU. Absolutely. I, this volleyball team, uh, early in the season, I said they're Elite Eight good. So I need them to win. One set. To validate that, <laughs> one set away. I'm, I'm with you, man. If not more, let's go. All right, Trevin, let's talk about Creighton. How much do you know about the Blue Jays at this point? I know you're going to dive in at practice and whatnot, but what do you know about Creighton right now? Um, so we had a lift at 8 a.m. this morning, and once we got done with that, we watched about 20 to 30 minutes just to film about Creighton. And they're a really good shooting team. They're probably the best transition team we've played so far. So they're really going to try to push the ball on us. Um, and their their big guy is, what, seven foot? So we're going to be, a, again, undersized, but it doesn't really matter because we got heart, small. you know. <laughs> Not that small. Um, but, yeah, their, their four-man is actually super talented. We saw against uh, Utah State, their four-man was really good at hitting threes. Justin Bean. And so this is the exact same guy, kind of like that. Just um, He's a big guy. He's their leading scorer. So it's going to be a really good challenge for it's us. It's interesting you bring up transition because I know transition defense against Utah State and Justin Bean specifically was a big point of emphasis for BYU mm-hmm. last night. So do you feel like in a weird way the Aggies are a great way to prepare for Creighton? It was a huge way because they're a really good shooting team. Almost their whole team can shoot it. And that's kind of like the same thing with Creighton. They are a really good shooting team. And so they're going to try to space us out and, 
and they're gonna tr they're a really good passing team as well. So I think it was a really good way to prepare for this game, and you know we're just really excited for Saturday. Utah State's going out there in a week, by the way. Oh, to South Dakota. Yeah, the Pentagon, or they call it the Pentagon. Like, Pentagon, like the the arena. It's called a four line three. <laughs> <laughs> four lines is weird, man. Yeah. Let's give you some BYU Sports Nation karma to take with you to the Black Hills in South Dakota. <laughs> Uh, good luck against Creighton. We'll be watching, of course, and uh, congratulations on a great start thus far. Appreciate it. Good to see you, Trump. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Kalani Satake is once again in the heavy rumor mill to potentially be leaving BYU if he decides that is what is best for him. Jerem, our question is today, while we wait for Kalani to either sign an extension at BYU or, heaven forbid, go somewhere else, is he the key to success for BYU football moving forward with everything that is to come for the Cougars, Big 12 uh, inclusion among that? I think so. I think Kalani is the key to everything that's going on right now uh, with BYU. He's certainly established some really, really good coaches around him. Um, I think Aaron Roderick's become one of the best play callers in the country. B-roll with Aaron, nicely timed. Uh, BYU defensively has been good the past several years. I know some people don't like the means, but the numbers are nice, right? There's some really nice, uh, good assistance, um, good recruiting, good pipeline, good culture. But the figurehead of that is truly important in establishing all that. He's not 20 games over 500. I mean, there was a moment in 2019 where he was like a game over 500. Um, it's nice to go 21 and three the last two. It's nice to go 26 and five since the middle of 2019 when he made A Rod the primary play caller when BYU was two and four. I think I think he's at the heart of everything that's happening with BYU football right now. I really do. I think these players that like. Kingsley, Suamataia, and a lot of the guys that they're going to sign in a week from today on Football Signing Day, which you can watch right here on BYU Sports Nation, uh, are, are invested in Kalani as the guy. So I think it's really important that moving forward, Kalani be here. If he's not, certainly you deal with that if that happens. Uh, notice I didn't say when, but if that happens. And uh, you go from there. But yeah, Kalani, what Kalani has done in the last two years specifically. So in 2019, it was like, the, the babies on that team, yes. a.k.a. the freshmen, yes. built to, um, sorry, 2018 even, to 2020, being ready to embrace that. And then this year has been, as I said, the, the continuation is harder. The sequel's harder than the original. Like what George Lucas did with Empire Strikes Back was more impressive to me than even Star Wars, A New Hope, because you had to go there again and you had to do it even better. What Jaron Hall and this group have answered has been really impressive, and the whole team had to bring it. So, yeah, Kalani's the key to everything right now. He's the reason that BYU is where they are for sure. BYU's on the express train of success right now. The Polar Express train since it's Christmas time? Sure, why not? Choo-choo! Tom Hanks, you dog! Recruiting, winning, advancing to the Big 12, getting big-time recruits in the transfer portal, all of this is because Kalani Satake has established something that has gotten on rails and is now moving at an express train speed. If he left, this would force a stop or two or maybe four or five along the way to figure out how BYU gets back on rails and 
hopefully gets back into that express lane. It's just going to take time. Like, so for me, it's, it, it would feel like the end of the world for a lot of BYU fans, and I'd be right there at the front of them. Oh, yeah. No, it, it'd be a challenge if that If happened. Kalani decided to leave BYU. Yeah. But he, he'll tell you, and I'll tell you, that it's a program is bigger than one man, even if it's the head coach. But that doesn't mean that it wouldn't significantly set BYU back a number of years. Yeah. Because who's out there? I don't even want to go there mentally. No. We I, don't, I, I'm we not don't, going to. And right we don't now. have to until that moment. I, I, yeah, exactly. So I'm just going to enjoy the fact that BYU is on rails. They've got the conductor, Kalani Satake, on the success train right now. Moving at an express level. Yes. Come on now. Like, this isn't just – this tourney train hat isn't exclusive to basketball, it's right? The, it's the college football playoff hat, too. The conductor's hat, and Kalani <laughs> can wear the conductor's hat, too. BYU is rolling right now, and I hate to even think about where they would have to stop and slow down and repair – if he decided to leave. I have mixed feelings about this hat. Do you remember why? Uh, because it's a special hat? I don't know. Because it doesn't Because we great. got it from Dairy oh, Queen. Oh, you got sick at the, I, I got at the food poisoning. <laughs> I would go there a million times again. I'm not saying anything disparaging oh, of the restaurant. You got, you got sick. But I got I on that day I got sick. So when I see that hat, I think about throwing up. <laughs> Between that day and then you dropping me off at the airport back in 2014 oh, yeah, and having okay. to throw so, up in the garbage. Before we had, like, you have four <laughs> kids, now I have two. We, I think we had one each or something at the time. But anyways, you're both are, like, spouse are out of town or something. I, I stay over at your house. We just play, like, college football. Yeah. I'd say college football 14, like, till 1 a.m. or whatever. Like, you know, 2014. <laughs> right. <laughs> it would just come out, maybe. i drop you up to the airport, and, and then I, I just – Ralph in an outdoor <laughs> garbage can. A lot of me throwing up. I don't know what's going on here. Well, okay. uh, it's natural we because we're talking about up. Kalani leaving and doesn't it bring that sensation back to your stomach? Again, I don't, I don't think Kalani's going to leave. But there's a chance he does. Okay, I, I hope that BYU can finalize the deal with him ASAP. And it sounds like, according to Tom Homel from Visiting Us Monday, that they are actively working on that. And it that almost sounded like they already had something in place that just needs to be finalized. Who knows? We'll see. Okay, topic two. And speaking of uh, the conductor sat in the hype train. Right. BYU hosts Utah State in men's hoops tonight uh-huh. on a nine-game win streak. To borrow a phrase from our friends to the north that didn't come to pass. Hopefully it does tonight. Is 10 coming? <laughs> I sure hope so because BYU's on their home floor and they're rolling, but... You're going to go the distance with the hat? Well, only for the rest of the block. Okay, yeah. yeah That's only, what I meant. Only for the rest yeah, of yeah, the yeah. block. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. why not? I mean, yeah. I've it, committed. You, you look good. I've committed to Conductor Kalani and <laughs> is it Conductor, conductor with a K? in BYU basketball. Yes, it is Conductor with a K when you're discussing Kalani <laughs> Satake. This is a massive opportunity for Utah State to, as John Rothstein put it this morning, move the needle for the Aggies and for the Mountain West Conference. Uh, this this is a statement game potentially for the Aggies because of the losing streak to BYU. They've got a new head coach, but they're playing, playing pretty good basketball. You watched them firsthand in Logan good, man. lose to Randy Bennett in dramatic, controversial fashion, yeah. but still a loss. Randy so, Bennett did his usual thing in the line. <laughs> <laughs> Utah State's looking to bounce back so against BYU and a BYU team that's still trying to figure some things out in the post where Utah State has – an advantage with Justin Bean. Um, I expect that BYU will figure it out because that's what they do. 
That's what they do, other than Utah Valley, and I'm giving them a pass because of the Gavin Baxter situation yeah, sure. and so many players being sick. And It was a weird, ugly game, and that, those are going to happen in college basketball. Unfortunately, yeah. it was in a rivalry format at Utah Valley, so it just felt eh, really weird. But it's a quad two loss right now, okay? This is a top 50 net showdown, two really good teams, but I expect BYU and The Rock to show out mm-hmm. the home crowd the home situation will be the difference tonight for BYU against the Aggies. And I think BYU is an eight-point favorite going in. I think that's Six and two, a half. Well, six and a half now? Eight from Ken Pump. See, I think that's mm-hmm. a little too high. I expect this to be like a four to a six-point game. It's going to be very competitive, but I expect BYU to figure it out. I do not. Uh, you know, double down, spoiler here, I think BYU will cover. Um, let, let me tell you why it was close with St. Mary's. Because St. Mary's missed the first 13 threes of the game Ooh. they took. Okay. If St. Mary's just makes three or four of those, it's not as close. Doesn't that sound like BYU, Jerem? It does. Uh, Spencer Johnson and Alex Barcelo shooting 45% rest of team 29%. It's rough right now. So if they just make a few threes, then they'll cover. Make a few threes, they cover. But if they don't, which they haven't really. Then then it could be interesting. Let's talk about Justin Bean. Dude's incredible. He really is. He's shooting such high percentage. He leads the team in steals. He's making threes at 56% as well, and he's made like 10. Like He's another double-double machine. Listen, this dude's a return missionary. I don't know if you ever wanted to play at BYU. It would have been fun to have Brother Bean here. We could have called him Mr. Bean. There could have been some cool posters. Anyway, he's a good player, dude. I think the Caleb Lohner matchup with him is going to be really fun. I, I really do. I think that's going to be a battle that Caleb will take personally, and it's going to be fun to watch tonight. Utah State's good. I just think BYU's a little bit better. Justin Bean reminds me of Spencer Nelson. Like I feel Ooh, like he's, he's behind in double doubles. By the way, he's he's Spencer Nelson reincarnate in a lot of ways. Just really smart and really good footwork around the hoop. Yeah, we don't believe in reincarnation. Excellent right? rebounder. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like he's he could be a problem. Spencer Nelson's like I'm still here. Big problem for some young big men tonight at BYU. If Caleb Loner gets into foul trouble, then it falls on Fusini Traore. Yeah, and to Atiki Aliatiki, and, and it'll be interesting because they have a, Justin Bean's not a five; he's a four. So who are you going to put? Brandon Horvath is a six ten starting center. Yeah. So who who's BYU going to line up there? Maybe Gideon George, but how's he feeling, right? Athletically, all of these reasons rebounding. Why ex- I expect it to be close? Yes. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. One of BYU football's newest All-American recipients, a second-teamer on the Action Network All-America team, Clark Barrington, one-on-one BYU Sports Nation All-Access. Clark, how does it feel to be an All-American BYU football player? Yeah, um, you know, I'm just grateful for for the opportunity to play here and, and show my talents and be able to ball out with, with with all my buddies on the team. And so, you know, it feels good, and, and I'm grateful for for that award, and, and hopefully there's more to come, so we'll see. It's nice that the offensive linemen get a nod every once in a while because I think that by nature you just go largely underappreciated, which brings up a bigger question. Do you guys as a collective unit deserve more credit for what Tyler Algier is doing, or is it all about Tyler? You know, I, I think that's the, you know, the the job description, you know, as an alignment, you know, you go out there, you grind, you do your work and and it goes unnoticed. And, and us as alignment, we're, we're fine with that. And, and we're 
we're really happy giving all that glory to, to Tyler Algier and, and we're happy for all of his success and everything he's going through. And he, he's a baller. And it's not like, it's not like we're just showing out and he, he, he's not performing. He's, he's a baller. There's, there's plays where he goes out there and, and breaks tackles and, and does his thing. And, and the, the run was made by him. And then there's times that we, that we throw up some good blocks and, and then we spring him loose. So, so it's a good balance there, but, but Tyler's a baller as, as well as, as the line. So the ever humble all American Clark Barrington is with us on BYU sports nation. If you had a pitch to Tyler to come back for one more season, what would you say to him? You know, I don't know what else I would say to him because I've already uh, given him all the the <laughs> pitches I have to, to make him stay here. So, you know, fingers crossed that, that he'll come back for another season and we'll, we'll continue this ride together. So, You and Tyler and the rest of the team are preparing for the Independence Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana. It is snowing currently outside, so I'm sure bowl prep is interesting. Obviously moved inside the indoor practice facility, but how are bowl preparations coming along? Yeah, they're, they're going good. Um, you know, we've had some good, solid practices and and a lot of physicality, and, and we're just excited and, and ready to, to go out and, and play in Shreveport against a great team. So, Which of your position groups, or maybe there's a specific teammate or two, would be most likely to suggest practicing in the snow? Yeah, um, I think it would, I would have to give that one to the D-line. You know, so some of those guys have a few screws loose, and so they'd be the most willing to go practice out in the snow and probably give it to, to Tyler Batty personally as well. So <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. When you said a few guys have some screws loose, I wondered if Tyler's name would pop up in there. What's it like to practice against him? Oh, man, it's fun. He's a good dude, and, and you know, every day, you know, he, he's going to show up and, and grind and practice hard and, and have fun doing it. And so it's, it's a good time going up against that guy. We're talking with Clark Barrington on BYU Sports Nation. He is an All-American. In fact, how did you find out about that news? Walk us through that whole process when you became aware that you were on that list. Um, To be honest, it was once BYU football posted the photo of me. <laughs> so it was it was just said, hey, BYU football tagged you in this post. I pulled it up and it was it was the all American honor. So <laughs> it was surprising and and that that's how it happened. But Ah, uh, tis the day and age of social media reveals. We know yep. all about yep. it, my friend. You, you mentioned the great team that you're preparing to play, uh, Alabama-Birmingham. It is not a New Year's Six game. BYU was right on the cusp of that. It's understandable that there would be some disappointment based on the season that you guys had. So how do you get mentally right after not just, I mean, just missing the New Year's Six, but now going to the Independence Bowl? For sure. You know, that New Year's Six is always the goal every year, and that's what we strive for. You know, but it didn't happen, and so – We've all had, you know, kind of reality check and, and hey, we're, you know, we're still blessed to go play another game and, and that's in Shreveport and against UAB and, you know, and, and they're a solid team, you know, watching film on them and, and scouting them out. They, they're, they got some solid dudes out there and so it's going to be a good game and, and we got to prepare just like all the others and so that's, that's our mindset going into this thing. What do you know about their team after film review? Uh, we know that they're going to, you know, give us our best shot. You know what I mean? They, they got a bunch of big dudes out there, heavy dudes and, and athletes. And so, 
you know, when you got that mix, it's never going to be an easy game. So we got to prepare just like any other game we had this year. So, Do you anticipate uh, more run blocking or more pass blocking for the bowl game, Clark? We'll see. Whatever, whatever they call, we'll do it. So we'll see what happens. Oh, that's a good answer, my friend. You're not going to tip your yeah. cap. That's, that's fantastic. That's a no. veteran move right there. <laughs> Um, bowl, bowl swag is always a fun topic. H- how much do players talk about or think about the prizes and the accolades that come along with the bowl? For sure. You know, that's all, that, that's the bonus that, that, that comes with, uh, you know, a good season and making a bowl game. And so we're always talking about that. And, and today I think where we get to pick out our swag and, and what we want. So we're all excited for that. So I want to know about the health of the offensive line because it's been attrition, basically for every position group on this team, but just who who is yeah. good enough and healthy enough to show up week to week. So that's what's nice about bowl season is you have a little bit of extra time to get healthy, but have you had enough time to get healthy on the offensive line as a unit? For sure. I, I think we have. Uh, you know, We do have some of the guys that, that have been out in the past get, getting back and getting some reps in at practice and, and they're starting to feel good again. So I think, I think we'll have a, a good bunch um, on the trip and, and ready to play. So we love the brothers Barrington here on BYU sports nation. And we make it a point to never confuse your names between you and Campbell, but how often do people mix up those names? Yeah, it, it's pretty often, you know, even, even my, my parents, my mom, you know, especially when we were younger, getting into trouble with, She's yelling at us, hey, Clark, no, Campbell, no. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it happens, and, and we respond to both, and and so it's just a part of life nowadays. Does that happen with Coach Funk, too? Clark, I mean, Campbell, come on. Uh, not too much. Campbell's nickname is, is Junior with Coach Funk, so he's able <laughs> to keep those, those straight every now and again, so. Fantastic. Well, uh, we yep. wish you and Junior the best as you continue your bowl preparations <laughs> and uh, enjoy some good food. We hear that the food in Shreveport is amazing, the Cajun Creole, the Tex-Mex. So I- I'm yep. sure as the offensive lineman, you can find your way to some good food, right? For sure. I'll have to be uh, Googling some good places to go to eat. Yes, that is your homework assignment. Not that you need any more homework yep. as you're taking care of finals. <laughs> uh, Clark, congratulations again on the All-American Thank honor. You. We appreciate the time fantastic season and we'll see you in Shreveport thank you appreciate it see you later Clark Barrington one of the very talented members of an overly talented BYU offensive line that frankly I am extremely excited about next year and the prospect of Tyler Algier coming back for one more year running behind that offensive line that makes that 2022 schedule seem a little less daunting oh if that happens it changes the entire season by like a game Maybe a game and a half. I mean, Tyler's that good. If uh, if you had just played me Clark's uh, voice and that was it and had me guess which uh, sport he played, I would guess hockey. Oh, he okay. He sounds like a hockey player to me. <laughs> hockey. Yes. Not not that extreme, but the rhythm of, uh, you know, what he says and the laugh and the cadence and the light heart. Yeah, he's fun. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. On to more important things, like BYU women's volleyball, and specifically the volleyball career of star Kenzie Kerber, who has found new meaning 
and a new home in Provo. This is Deep Blue featuring Miss Kenzie Kerber, presented by Brady Industries, Simply Better. Bauer pulled to the 10-meter line. Kerber, no problem. Seven kills in the first set for the former youth. My heart hasn't felt this happy in a long time. It's been a hard four years, and the past two and a half years have been great. My first years at college were a little bit rough for me, but past two and a half years have been really a good change for me. Back when I was a junior in high school, I didn't know why I felt like I had to come to Utah, but um, I felt like I had to, and I committed here, and I got here, and it was a great experience. I had a great career up there, but freshman and sophomore year, I was 6'2", same height I am now, but I weighed 130 pounds. I didn't know I had depression until some of these things that happened in my life, and I ended up having to meet with a psychologist three times a week. I was put on depression medication. I was in such a dark place, I'd just wake up and be like, I don't want to eat today. To just see her so sad, to me, it was the question is, is this really worth it? You know, like, yes, you're getting a great education, you're on scholarship, but it's not worth it if you're having the mental issues that, you know, and problems. When she would feel like depressed or needed to see somebody, she would drive over to my sister's places or her cousins, get a meal, talk to, talk to some of the younger cousins that are more in her age that can relate. After those two years, I'm standing in the mirror and I'm like, I'm rock bottom. Like my life is at an all time low. I grew up non-denominational Christian. Just we went to a little Christian church right in Chino Hills, California. And I knew there was something. I knew, you know, there's God. And I knew that Jesus Christ was his son. But I didn't really know, like, I didn't have answers. She just started asking me all these questions. And they were like really good questions, like really deep. And I was like, I'm on the spot right now. Like, I gotta, I gotta answer these the right way. I had all these questions, but she had answers. And she knew, like, she had a response to my questions. And I was like, all right, next one. And I'd ask her another one. And she'd be like, okay, and she'd have an answer. And I was like, why does she have an answer to everything? She was already really invested from the start. Like, her questions were genuine. And, like, you could tell she just wanted that truth right from the beginning. My aunt had sent me a video where she was like, hey, I want you to watch this video when you have the chance. So I'm watching this video and it's not even really a sad video. And all of a sudden I just feel like this weight kind of pressing down on my chest. And I'm like, what is going on? And I start bawling. And I'm like crying my eyes out watching this video by myself, like no one's in the locker room. And I'm like, what is going on? And I like finish the video and I'm like crying. And I text Olivia. I just remember that moment like so, so vividly still. Um, She's like, I'm in the fueling station, I'll come to the locker room. So she runs down the hall, knocks on the door, and I open the door and we just like hug. And we're both crying and we're hugging each other. And it was, that to me, was the first experience I had where I knew like, this is true. And this is the life that I want to live. I was thinking about some of the experiences that happened and stuff. And like, I still get goosebumps when I think about like what happened and like the day of her baptism and like the first time she felt the Holy Ghost and just like all these things. It strengthened my testimony and like strengthened our friendship. Once I was baptized and found the church and the effect that it had on my life, I knew that 
BYU was a place I wanted to be because I knew it would help me progress as a person and not just a player. And a big reason why I felt comfortable coming here was I played for Heather in Japan back in 2019 um, for two weeks with Heather Knighting was actually on the team and it was just the best experience and I just, I hold those memories so near to me all the time because it was such an eye-opening experience to play volleyball in a different country but the memories that I made with my teammates and the coaches and I just felt like I had this really personable connection with Heather. One night after dinner we were walking back to our hotel and she told me that two weeks previous to our trip in Japan she was baptized a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and I spun my head around and I said what? And she said she was baptized and so she was open and vulnerable and told me her conversion story, was able to connect with her about her baptism and it was really special to hear her conversion story and you could see the light in her eyes, you could see how happy she was and uh, that, that started you know, the good connection that we have. She fulfilled her commitment to Utah. I said, hey, it's a good program, you got a good education out of it, what do you want to do now? You want to stay at Utah? Utah's never been to a Final Four like BRU has. So I kind of convinced her, like, maybe you want to stay close to, you know, what you know and where you're at and the values of what brings BYU and the state of Utah and the church brings to you because your values are there. And it was a no-brainer after that. To finish my four years at Utah and feel like this was the right path for me. I mean, I thought about going pro after this spring season. I thought about staying at Utah. I thought about even just being done with volleyball and just getting a real job. None of those really brought me the peace that I felt if I came to BYU. Her faith is so strong now. Being here at the at BYU, it's just, it's a whole new dynamic. She's so happy. I have friends, family that see her on TV and just say how happy she is playing on this team. She's just thriving now and never complaining about going to practice or anything. So it's just a great feeling. The neat thing about Kenzie is she is this experienced player who's coachable and wants to learn. She's in the gym every day wanting feedback and she wants to get better. And she's got this little bit of time left here at BYU where she's enjoying every single moment, every practice, every match, every road trip. You can see the excitement in her eyes for what she wants to do with BYU Volleyball and the goals that she has with the girls on our team. The happiness that I've felt with this team and these coaches and the friends that I've made here and the experiences that I've had, like. I wish my whole life felt like that, you know, but um, I know I had to go through what I had to go through for a reason. Deep Blue with Kenzie Kerber, as we said, motivational, inspirational, emotional, and I just, again, with all of these, love how genuine these athletes are when they open up about hard things. Yeah, she's gone through a lot, as she talked about, and it's been amazing to have her at BYU mm -hmm. on the court, obviously, as one of the best opposites in the country, but as a person, and she brings the juice, she brings the fire, she's helped this team. When when BYU got her, I thought, oh, BYU's Elite Eight good Absolutely. Now. They need to win Thursday, right? They're about to right? prove it. But, like, regardless of what they do in the tournament, her life has been affected in an amazing way, and she's affected this team in an amazing way. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Now we take you to 
an interview we had this morning with the person that knows the Independence Bowl better than most. She is the executive director of the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. Missy Setters, two-on-one with BYU Sports Nation. Missy, it's great to have you with us. I think most BYU fans are wondering, one, yes, what's the matchup going to be like in Shreveport? But more importantly, what's the weather going to be like in Shreveport in December? Well, I'll tell you, the last couple of days have been a little cool uh, compared to what we've had. and uh, But I think bowl week is supposed to be in the 70s and uh, some sunshine mixed with maybe a little chance of rain. But right now it should be warm. The 70s? That sounds amazing. Uh, I might hop yeah. on that flight with Spencer. That would be great. Okay, let's talk about the process of getting BYU in here. Obviously, BYU was contracted there, but the Cougars were hoping for a New Year's Six. Didn't happen. And then there was some talk of perhaps a different bowl game. Who knows? But in the end, it is the Independence Bowl where BYU was originally contracted. Anyway, so kind of walk us through what it was like navigating, getting BYU into the bowl game. Well, it was, I mean, watching throughout the year, it was obviously exciting to see what a great program they have and um, watching the games and how dominant they were. Um, For us, it was a wait and see process if they were going to get into the New Year's Six. And so we were tracking that and trying to keep up with it. Um, Looking forward to hosting them. We had some of their uh, administrators in in June of this year so they could go ahead and do an early site visit, sort of anticipation of a quick turnaround for us once we knew who the teams were. And uh, so just keeping up with things as as it went along during the season and being prepared for just about anything. And then also, uh, you know, the benefit of having them in earlier in the year as opposed to trying to get them in this week to go through all the site visits. Missy Setters is the executive director of the Independence Bowl. She's with us on BYU Sports Nation. The Cougars draw the Blazers of UAB out of Conference USA. Were there any other teams that were close to taking UAB's spot? If so, who were they? Well, we had scouted a number of teams from Conference USA throughout the season. We had uh, been to multiple UTSA games, uh, UAB games, and also Louisiana Tech games early in the season. So, I think those three teams, and then when Louisiana Tech didn't quite get bowl eligible, we made some adjustments. But those three were on the radar from the start of the season as far as um, scouting them and getting a good look at them. Missy, was there any concern it wasn't going to be BYU? At at first, BYU was uh, in the New Year's Six mix, uh, and then ultimately BYU did land in the bowl game. Yeah, of course. I mean, to watch them play and to watch, uh, like I said, how dominant they were throughout the season and the wins they were picking up along the way, uh, we were concerned with it. So where we stand in, in the bowl mixture, we, we're always looking at other options and other possibilities, you know, primarily for the last five or six games of the year, just being prepared. Other than the actual bowl game, what do fans need to prepare for and expect in Shreveport, Louisiana? Because you are the insider that can tell them where to go and what to do and probably what to eat. Well, first of all, we have great food. Uh, lots of Creole Cajun food. Uh, we're 15, about 15 miles from Texas. So there's a lot of uh, great barbecue Tex-Mex, uh, Cajun Creole, just about anything that, that you could imagine. So it's typical Louisiana where you expect good food, good cuisine, and uh, everybody here is very friendly. And uh, we have a number of events lined up depending on when people are getting into town. And you can go to our website at independencebowl.org or radiancetechnologiesindependencebowl.com to look at the schedule of events. Missy. We have a big game show that's coming up in uh, uh, next week, and that's where we bring in a group from 
uh, Atlanta to do kind of family feud style games between the players. <laughs> nice. And it's a lot of fun. It's really cool. And they get into it. You know, at first they kind of walk in like they don't know what to expect. And the minute the first question is asked and there's a winner and a loser, then it's competition. So it's on. And that's always a lot of fun. And the players really get into it and enjoy it a lot. And there's some audience participation, too. Uh, next to that, we also have the night before the game, we have our, uh, we call it Rally on the Red, which is a combination of events. We have concerts starting at five o'clock in our Red River District here in the Shreveport side of the river. And uh, we'll have three different musical acts that night. And it culminates with Dan Smalley, who starts it at, I believe, eight o'clock. On the other side of the river, we'll have a mini Mardi Gras parade in our Boardwalk Outlets Mall. And uh, so that will go down the board, the boardwalk outlets, and then we'll move the floats across the river into the Red River District, and they'll be static there. And uh, so while we have the concerts going on on this side, the Mardi Gras parade will will start over there, come across the river, and uh, and then we also have a pep rally and battle of the bands under our Texas Street Bridge next to the river in the entertainment district here. So that's always a lot of fun. And then Dan Smalley, the, the uh, finale act, will start right after the Battle of the Bands and the pep rally. It's a lot of fun. It's in, in a, um, an area that's uh, it's, it gets really loud and a lot of fun with the bands in there and the cheer squads in there. And uh, we, we've had a great time with that event. And this year it's enhanced even bigger. So we're looking forward to that. Missy, that food sounds amazing, and I never thought BYU and Mardi Gras would ever connect in any way ever. So this is a great situation for BYU. Uh, the Cougars are ranked 13th in the college football playoff rankings, the highest-ranked team to ever play in the Independence Bowl. What does it mean to have a team like that in the bowl game? Oh, it means everything to us. I mean, it's it, it, that's you know part of the marketing plan right now. It's, it's what we throw out there. It's a, it's a program with national prominence every year, and even more so enhanced this year because of the ranking in the team. So everybody's always interested in bowl payouts and money and finances and how that all works for teams. With the Independence Bowl, how does the bowl payout work? How do ticket sales factor into that? Uh, because, uh, quite frankly, we ourselves in Studio B are, are wondering how that all factors in. Well, we don't, because of confidentiality and agreements, we don't throw numbers out there. But what I can say is that the tickets – we, we sent uh, thousands of tickets out Monday after or Monday morning to BYU. They keep all the revenue off of the ticket sales and we're prepared if there's a need for more tickets to send those to. Um, so it's a combination of, um, of cash and, and ticket value and keeping the revenue off of those tickets. What, sorry, Jeremy, what does the game mean to the community of Shreveport and how does it help in that regard? Well, you know, bowl games are, are seen as um, festivals events uh you know for example for us we do a number of events throughout the year um youth clinics tennis tournaments kickoff dinners bringing in high profile speakers uh, we did a flag football uh fundraiser this year for local nonprofits. but for us it's the culmination of everything that we do throughout the year coming together in this one week of festive festivities it's economic impact it's uh you know filling up hotel rooms in what is traditionally the slowest uh, season for hotels in just about any market. And it's bringing people in who maybe have preconceived notions who've heard certain things, but they've never actually been here and showing them the hospitality that we have to offer in this area. And uh, so it means a lot to us. We've been around for 45 years. We're the 11th oldest bowl game out there. Mm. And it means a lot to this community and the people here. Let's talk about the bowl swag for the players. What kind of uh, swag are they getting this year? 
Well, they get uh, the traditional bowl watches. Uh, and then I think it's a fossil watch. And we do logoed footballs for them. We do these um, beanies that they'll get more use out of at BYU than they will here. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> especially during bowl week, there won't be a need for them. And, uh, and then we also do the gift suites where they can go through. Um, it. Our partner will uh, go on campus and set it up. And there's a few hundred items that they can choose from there. It's on a point system. So they go in there and they can choose different items. You know, some of the players get stuff for themselves and some of them will use it for Christmas presents for their family. Um, So it's a pretty cool thing to see them go through the bowl suite if they do it here on site at their schools. Missy Setters is the executive director of the Independence Bowl. She's with us on BYU Sports Nation. Obviously, Missy, you're very well tuned into how BYU brings fans and uh, how many tickets they can sell. What type of a turnout do you expect between both fan bases for the 2021 edition of the Independence Bowl? Well, I hope it's going to be strong. Yes, we we know what it, what it's like for BYU fan bases to travel. Um, I was in New Orleans in 2017 when BYU played LSU. And BYU fans are everywhere. Everywhere we went, it was packed with BYU fans. So we're looking forward to that and hosting the fans and hosting the team here. Uh, as far as UAB, it's only six hours down the road. It's an easy trip down I-20. So we, we're hopeful that they will have a strong contingent of fans here too. We do believe BYU will cross the 50, unlike the 2017 game against LSU Missy. That's the good news. <laughs> Well, I'm still hurting from a 2012 game where LSU didn't cross the uh, the 50. (laughs) (laughs) It happens. (laughs) Missy, it's great to talk to you. We appreciate the time and the insight. We look forward to a fun time in Shreveport, Louisiana. Thank you. Y'all take care. I'm ready for that Tex-Mex, Jerem. That sounds amazing right now. We get hungry at the end of the show, typically, like a little pre-lunch hunger. But, yeah, it's going to be a fun time for uh, the team down there. Look, New Year's Six would have been awesome. Do the, have the best of the situation. Go and win that game. Have a good time in Louisiana. Different kind of situation. That'll be great. Yeah. That'll be awesome. It, it wouldn't hurt to put a beat down on UAB and have a couple of teams ahead of BYU in the AP poll lose and you finish as a top 10 team. I believe that will happen. There's too many top 10 matchups for that not to happen. Let's go. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. We are discussing the biggest, boldest, baddest win of the season for BYU football. We all know 2021 has produced some epic wins and accomplishments for the BYU football team and all of BYU athletics, really. But for the sake of compartmentalizing, let's stick with football, who was on the verge of winning 11 games in back-to-back seasons for the first time since 2006-2007. The Cougars ended a nine-game losing streak to Utah, Six and one against Power Five teams, won a de facto Pac 12 South Championship. We hung a banner, and BYU got invited to the Big 12. But now, Jerem, they need to secure something maybe even grander. Would extending the, Kalani the Satake, Bowl. Would extending Kalani Satake as the head coach of BYU football be the biggest win of the year for the Cougars? No. It'd be, uh, it'd be pretty big, but the Big 12 is bigger than any one individual. That invite was the biggest win of the year. And then, uh, then it kind of comes down to whether beating Utah is a bigger deal. I, th- if you're talking about the future, okay, yeah, it'd be Kalani, right? Um, the Utah game happened. It was awesome. It was incredible. What an amazing way to end that and part of an amazing season for BYU. 
But moving forward, if you want to kind of keep uh, this going, and there's no guarantees that it's going to be at this level, but hopefully it is. Yeah, you got to sign up Kalani Stocky. So it's a huge deal. And the fact that there's like no smoke coming out of Eugene. Kalani's coming back. It just feels like a matter of time. Um, slash, she's already contracted, but like, will if Chip Kelly goes to Oregon, will what UCLA if, open does up? Does UCLA sway him? BYU's a better gig than UCLA right now, um, and typically is. Uh, you know, the idea of UCLA is fun. The, the last thing Kalani wants West to do is. is go yep. coach the most overrated college football team in America for the last thirty years. If Chip Kelly goes, even Chip couldn't. He couldn't handle it. No one can. Who has? No one's done anything at UCLA. Yeah, um, the idea of that is, yeah, that's fun. Um, and if you just, yeah, he's already turned down UCLA, D.C., you know, a couple years ago, four years ago. So, yeah, it, it'd be a huge win. Um, is it bigger than the Big 12? No. Is it bigger than Utah? I don't know. That's a fun combo, whatever. Yes, no, I don't, sure. Uh, secure Kalani and you secure what feels like a really, really bright future right now. The operative word is big win, and it is the big 12, because it matters for all of BYU athletics. This isn't just a BYU football thing. But even if it were only BYU football, if it were a football-only invitation to the Big 12, even that would still rank as the biggest win for the Cougars on the football side of things. But it's all sports. It, it just carries so many lasting ramifications that will help BYU for decades to come starting with the financial benefit of being in a Power 5 conference. Now BYU's in the big boys club. So that is the biggest win. But if BYU didn't extend Kalani Satake's contract, transitioning into the Big 12 then becomes a chaotic venture and something that would set BYU and the football team back a few years, a number of years, because now you're scrambling to find a coach in a very, very limited pool get them up to speed on everything that's going on. And, oh, by the way, in 2023, you got to face eight or nine Big 12 teams, and we expect you to win at least eight games because BYU fans, like every other fan base in America of a high-level team, a high-level program, are impatient. Like, win now. Like, we got to win now. That would set them back huge. So it's kind of like, hey, the Big 12, BYU got their new house. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. It's well, it's, being, it's being built. It's right. It's being built. Not done. Losing Kalani Satake would be like, uh, there are significant cracks in the foundation. We're going to have to go back and relay the foundation, and it's going to be a huge problem moving what forward. What is this, the Salt Lake Temple? It's going to be really expensive. Yeah, but that no, I'm, I, whether it's a car or it's a house, it's a good analogy because the house is being built. It's going to be fantastic. It's the dream home. But if Kalani were not to be extended, then there are problems within the foundation and it's going to get expensive and chaotic and messy, and it's going to be just a nightmare. Uh, unless there was someone sitting there that we were like, oh, they're obviously the next guy. But there isn't. There, there's not, right? Um, there, there would be good candidates out there, but they're not like shoe-ins, right? When, when Bronco Mendenhall left, it was like, listen, if you get Kalani Sitake or Kenny Matalolo, you're good on either of those fronts, right? If you already got Kalani. And uh, it took a couple of years, but here we are. It's going really, really well. It's interesting to see the next couple of years, yeah, what happens. Because technically, like... BYU doesn't have to do something new for Kalani. He's under contract to 25, but it it is a show of good grace for you've 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 proven yourself on a Power Five heavy schedule. Let's give you even more money. Let's get you up to Big 12 money now. 
uh, as a show of good faith so that you aren't enticed to go somewhere else. That's the move here. He technically doesn't have to do anything. But then Kalani would be like, well, do you, you have to renew uh, love constantly. In friendships, in marriage, you have to show you can't just be stagnant. So BYU can't be stagnant with Kalani. That's why they have to make a move here. I know technically they don't, but technically, uh, you know, my spouse doesn't have to stay with me if I just stop showing uh, forth, you know, uh, affirmations of love in different ways. So BYU's got to do something with Kalani. Sounds like they are. Sounds like it's close. Who knows? Uh, Hopefully this is something that happens soon. But Kalani obviously isn't getting the Oregon job. There's no smoke there. It doesn't feel like there's any other jobs that are super enticing at this point uh, for Kalani to, to interview with. So feels like we're good. Just BYU just, just, just needs to publicly affirm Kalani with an extension. And then he wants to be here. Like, this isn't the first time we're going to do this if BYU wins 10-plus again. You have to do it every year that happens. Just know that's how the game works. I cannot emphasize how important it is and how beneficial it is to have Kalani Satake, of all people, helping BYU transition into the Big 12 because of, and I said this earlier this week, what he went through personally at Utah with Kyle Whittingham. He was the defensive coordinator when Utah made the jump to the Pac-12. And he knows all about the difficulties and the struggles and the incredibly difficult learning curve that existed when Utah made that jump. Which will be a bigger jump than what BYU will go through. Right. Yeah, it's because not as steep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And... But it would make it steeper if you don't have the head coach that's there that has experienced something like that. He just is such a smooth bridge to that gap for BYU because of the increasingly difficult independent schedules. He's dealt with that. He's been at Utah. He saw all that with Kyle Whittingham. And now he can say, all right, I I know what to expect. Here are the additional staff members I need. we got to strengthen up the – uh, recruiting situation. We need more people there. We need more strength and conditioning staff. We need more nutrition staff. Which this is part of the deal too. Like before BYU gets to the Big Twelve, during the yes. first couple, BYU probably needs to beef that up. Now BYU typically doesn't spend the money before they spend it. Like when it right. So like the, BYU operates financially just a little bit different, and 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 the church. It's not like yeah, we'll just build an annex and then will uh, pay for it after. Sure. No, no, no. BYU raised all the funds, then built the annex. So I wonder if BYU does that here with this staff because BYU's not going to get the, the full share of TV money um, until what? year Is it year three, I think, right? BYU, we, what did we learn? BYU gets 50% the first two 50% years or something like that? 50% the first like two that. years, Bob Bowlesby told us that. Yeah, so BYU's not going to have the full allotment of that money until 25, and we don't know what that TV contract is like without Oklahoma and Texas. Hey, but so. hey, $18 million a year at 50% is a significant amount and more than BYU's getting right now. So $9 mil, we don't, I don't know what BYU's getting. Is BYU getting 6 Are they getting 8 I don't know. So it might not be that big of an increase, right? If it's 8 it's $1 mil. I. I wonder if BYU will spend the money. Before. No, no, sorry, it's thirty-six million per Big Twelve school. Okay, so it'd be, so it'd be 18, eighteen million starting in twenty-three and twenty-four. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's a big chunk. Is BYU willing to spend the money now, get those staffers in place before? That'd be a different right. Um, that goes against the ideology. Model. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To your point, yeah. BYU raises the funds and then they raise the funds to take care of these buildings for like a decade after, too. Like, like at what point does BYU feel like in the Big Twelve, and maybe never, because we're st- kind of still at this point in some spaces, is hey, we have to do more with less. Well, why? 
if you're getting the TV money finally that is competitive with the other Power Five conferences, why do you have to do it with less? Don't you have enough to actually hire those and pay the assistants at the level that you need to? I'm not talking about paying them at Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State level. No, no, no. We will never do that. Salt Lake could do it if they wanted. They choose not to. It is what it is, right? Um, for, for better or worse, whatever. You could be on uh, either side of that. I get it. But when you have that TV money, okay, now what? What's the excuse now? No, go do it. I, I believe BYU will do and it. And I'm confident that BYU I, will yeah. pay at least at the median rate of your average Power 5 college football coach. Not, no, I'm not talking about the head coach. I'm talking about the staff, like okay. the support staff, the assistants, the, the nutrition, the strength and conditioning, the recruiting. Like, I, I don't want to hear the phrase again once BYU is getting full Power 5 money. Well, we have to do more with less. Why? Why? That's a I, fair I, question. I don't want to hear that sentence again. But are they willing to do it two to three years in advance of receiving that full increment of TV money from yeah. a Power Five conference? So, it, so if I doubled my salary, different. it's fair for my wife to expect us to have a nice, a few nicer yes, things. Yes, sure. Not, not, not spend crazy. That's not what I'm saying. But you're not going to get it until 2023. So, are you okay spending now, knowing that it's going to arrive in 2023? Yeah, like in 23, BYU at a minimum should increase that, I would hope. Interesting Once you get that conversation. money. Yeah. I understand the church and BYU's financial philosophies. I think it's super sound. They operate in the, in the black, right? Which is, which is great. That's awesome. It's worked for BYU. But once you get more money, let's get the staff to compete at the highest level. Well, hey, you've been doing with that without it. Well, barely. It's been one year, normal year, where BYU's done that. If we want to sustain this, we need to do something foundationally different. Sure. And we would be naive to assume that the coaching staff will look exactly the same just because Kalani Satake is getting extended. BYU's been so good that assistant coaches are undoubtedly being looked at for other openings across the country. We'll see. I love that. That needs to happen. We'll see what happens, but... Again, let's let's not be naive that way. <laughs> if you're Alabama, are you ticked every other coordinator leaves? No, you're happy you won the national championship, and that's the cost. Come on. BYU football's 13th drops a spot in the final college football playoff rankings, headed to the Independence Bowl against Alabama, Birmingham, and Utah jumps BYU in the rankings. Were you surprised by anything yesterday? We want Bama, Birmingham, Jerem. <laughs> yes, I was surprised. Not so much about the postseason not turning into a New Year's Six, but surprised in a couple of areas. One, that BYU dropped to number 13 in the final college football playoff rankings. And number two, that BYU was playing UAB in the Independence Bowl. I was thinking that if BYU went to the Independence Bowl, it would be a draw with maybe UTSA, another conference champion, or maybe LSU, who would make the short drive up from... Baton Rouge and play in Shreveport. So the opponent and the bowl surprised me, but not more than BYU dropping one spot to number 13, and here's why. And I thought that the college football playoff committee had taken a big step forward this year because they had consistently, for the most part, looked at the whole resume and I felt like had decent rankings for the last five or six weeks. And then all of a sudden, BYU gets jumped by Utah, and Pittsburgh, and they drop to number 13. So Utah goes from 17 
all the way up to number 11, and Pittsburgh goes up to number 12. And I thought, okay, well, they're valuing the conference championship. Clearly, that matters. But then this came up. Ohio State, number six over number seven, Baylor. And I thought, okay, if you value conference championships, then why in the world is Baylor not above Ohio State, a team that did not play or win a conference championship, or Notre Dame for that matter. I just, I don't get it. There's so many inconsistencies. I just want them to be clear because they, they essentially said Gary Barta was the mouthpiece that Ohio State passed the eye test. They, well, they we just thought they were the better team compared to Baylor. But then Pittsburgh and Utah, because they played that 13th data point, and they won conference championships. Now, a team that BYU beat head-to-head and had one less loss then is now ahead of BYU. I, no consistency. So I was really surprised about that. I thought for sure BYU would at least finish in the top 12, if not at number 11, based on their entire resume and having beaten the Pac-12 champions head-to-head. That was the thing that I had the biggest issue with and that I was most surprised about was where BYU finished in the final college football playoff rankings. Yeah, it was certainly disappointing, but not surprising. Um, the tough part, and, and all this will be remedied in the Big 12. That's the great news. You're going to, BYU is going to earn what it gets, right? In independence, if you lose twice, you're going to uh, one of those other bowls, right? Um, in this case, it's the Independence Bowl. That's where BYU was signed up. I think we were hoping ESPN would figure out a, a different bowl game. It doesn't always shake out that way. Um, we were hoping, okay, if it is Independence Bowl, hey, that LSU game, at least it's a name. I know they're, uh, they have Brian Kelly and his family accent coming in, you know, or whatever, but that would have been fun, <laughs> but it, which was so weird, by the way. But, yes, there was, there was some disappointment in the inconsistency there, and unfortunately, Michigan State's win over Michigan, I think, held the day. And when we first started talking about, okay, does BYU have a shot at a New Year's Six with two losses? My concern was BYU was going to be out-at-large by some of these Power 5 teams. Unfortunately, that was the case. Now, if Baylor had uh, lost, now it would have been even more interesting yesterday because maybe OK State uh, sneaks in there or they're the, you know, uh, they're, they're the team that kind of goes to the Sugar Bowl and then maybe Baylor falls behind BYU. But there was, uh, unfortunately for BYU... There, weren't, there wasn't that kind of, and this is the case with Notre Dame, they're not in the playoff either, right, of you didn't have that last moment to make an impact for the committee. They really valued, like, what have you done for me lately? And BYU's win over USC was quality, but that was two weeks ago, right? And there were a lot of teams like this. Um, the good news is, in the Big 12, if BYU wins and they win late, they're going to deserve something more than what they got in this situation. We know what we, you know, you knew what I was when you picked me up, right? That seminary story with the snake. Like, as an independent, BYU's doing its best to win, go 10-2, and two, was in the conversation. To me, that was really fun. Um, once BYU got its second loss, it was probably going to be a tough ask, right? But things almost played out for BYU. They didn't. So now what is BYU playing for? They're playing for a top-10 ranking. There's not too many times you can say that in BYU history. I think that's awesome. Obviously, we all kind of wanted something more than UAB in the bowl game. I get that. But at the end of the day, did we really think BYU is going to get hooked up by the, by the playoff committee? Gary Barta ain't no Oliver Cowdery as a mouthpiece. And it's okay. It's okay. BYU can go to the Independence Bowl and play. I, I realize why people are upset. And they, it's fine. BYU, P, fans want BYU to play in the biggest games against the biggest opponents. That's only really happened a couple of times in a bowl game. Fiesta Bowl 74, 
uh, Cotton Bowl 97. Those are kind of the two big moments, right, in BYU history. So this isn't one of those, unfortunately, but if BYU finishes with 11 wins, I mean, this already is one of the most incredible football seasons in BYU history, given all the Power Fives and the performance in Jaron Hall. That was amazing. That was amazing. And so, yes, disappointed, bummed, but ultimately not super surprised. BYU has a chance to finish with 11 wins in back-to-back -back seasons for the first time since 2006 and 2007. It Wild, just does right? not happen often. And they're doing it against a legitimate, arguably the toughest schedule that BYU has faced and won mostly against ever. So to go 11-2 and two against this schedule would be incredibly, incredibly validating for this BYU team coming off that weird pandemic season when people were like, yeah, but who did they play? Well, they played a bunch of teams this year, including two conference champions that BYU Crazy. beat head-to-head -head yeah. and then lost to a third conference champion at Baylor. Now, this is the one thing I want BYU fans to remember when you think about something to play for. And you brought up the top ten ranking. The College Football Playoff Committee does not make the final rankings. It's the AP poll yeah. that makes the final rankings, and the AP poll kept BYU at number 12. So if Utah and Pittsburgh lose ahead of BYU and the Cougars handle their business in the Independence Bowl, which they should, then we're legitimately talking about a top 10 finish a year after BYU finished number 11 which is amazing. So there is still something to play for, for sure, and to lead BYU into a preseason top 25 ranking in 2022. Yes, BYU will be ranked in the top 25 next year. If you, if you win 10-plus games and return the quarterback, they just put you in. So BYU's in. That part's already done, uh, which is exciting. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Last night at Stevens Stadium, where I'm located now, and the site of the NCAA Women's Soccer National Championship, we watched that penalty kick spectacle that finished with Florida State celebrating and BYU watching that celebration. But that did not stop the Cougars from appreciating what an incredible season and moment that they had pulled together. I spoke with BYU senior goalkeeper Cassidy Smith after an emotional taxing game and her last stand after a seven-year injury-riddled career that finished on the biggest of stages. Understandably, emotions were raw. She was very real, and the finality of it was tough. A can't-miss one-on-one with Cassidy Smith on BYU Sports Nation. Cassidy, I know the emotions are raw after an unbelievable track meet of a match against Florida State that goes to PKs, back-to-back -back games, the College Cup and PKs. What's, what are you feeling right now overall as you, you try and summarize everything that just happened? Um, I think definitely a mixture of emotions. I'm obviously very sad. Um, trying to keep the reality that that's my last game in the back corner. We'll uh, deal with that one later, but I am really proud of our team. Like it, it's one of those games that it's like PKs go either way. And you know, a couple of days ago it went our way, and we were pumped. And to, for it to go this way, it, it stings, you know. But it's kind of the way of soccer. We battled. Like couldn't ask for more from my teammates and the team in general. It's just soccer doesn't go your way sometimes. <laughs> it kind of sucks. <laughs> it's a very delicate, fickle sport for sure. 
and for again to go all the way through double overtime and get the PKs again. Um, how would you summarize just your team's performance overall tonight, aside from the end result in penalties? Yeah. Um Definitely the first half wasn't our best performance. We went into the locker room saying we can be better and we can beat this team and um, we know what we need to do, right? There wasn't any like strategizing. It was like we can just be better. And we came out and did that second half in both overtimes. Um, girls were on fire, we had opportunities, didn't bounce our way, didn't go our way and happens, but really proud. Um, something we've been working on all season long is a full 90. We did 110, and and couldn't ask for more, honestly, from the girls. So, what did it mean to you to see Cougar Nation show up at Stevens Stadium like they did tonight? Estimated around 4,000 BYU fans. So emotional, like I just. And then they stayed around and waited for us, right? While well, we gathered our emotions and got nerves up to go face them, right? But it means a lot. Um, and you could feel it on the field. It felt like a home game. It felt like we were on South. So, um, wish we wish we could have pulled out the win for Cougar Nation so badly. Um, but you know, I think we set the groundwork, and this team's gonna come back. I, I'm gonna be in the stands next time, but this team's gonna do it. I fully believe next year and years to come, uh, we just set a new a new tone for BYU soccer. So, you left your mark individually, getting this team to the College Cup and then into the National Championship. Let's walk through the technicalities of that last PK shootout. Uh, what are you thinking going into that? What, walk us through the mindset before a penalty kick, uh, kick shootout begins, especially the one tonight. Um, I mean, we do a lot of film for PKs, right? Everyone's got their spots, um, but it's a tricky one because you can't just bank on your film. You easily switch to the other side. So. Um, definitely like reviewing the film and what we think they're, what side they're going to think they're go, but also just, just bringing it back in and focusing on me. I think it's easy to get wrapped up in trying to distract them and there's parts in that, right? But ultimately you just got to focus on me and I was hoping for one more block, but it <laughs> didn't happen. But I don't know. It's just disappointing. All right. Well, let's start with the, uh, you know, the breakdown of the, the five shots. Let's start with the high, the, the block. You know, what happened on that play and, and how did your research and uh, scout of that uh, specific player help out? Yeah, we actually scouted her as going the opposite way. So um, I think that's what kind of made me question my other ones because thought she was going to go to my right from the scout, but um, she gave me sign she was going left. So I went left and then after it was after that shot, I'm like, oh, shoot, maybe they've all switched their sides, right? <laughs> so... Um, yeah, it's a tricky game. PKs are hard. The other keeper came up with two big saves, and sometimes it's all you need, right? So, I've gathered that the sentiment of teams when you play in penalty kick situations is, you know, you never really want to go to that. You want you want to settle it in the regular pace of play, and you don't want to go to that. So, how do you deal with that emotionally, both as the winner and the loser, given what you accomplished in the College Cup here? I think PKs are something you just nod your head to the other team and say good game for, because it's something that goes either way. You can't, um, I mean, obviously there's huge parts of it, right? Your composure, your ability to place the ball, but in the end, that's not, doesn't reflect you as a soccer player, right? So um, both to Santa Clara and both to Florida State, you nod your head and say, that was a good game, like we'll see you next year type of thing, and um, good game. I think it's the most you can say. 
Okay, we talked about the save. Let's talk about uh, the last play. And I particularly was interested and appreciated what your teammates did right after Florida State scored to clinch it and, and they came and supported you. What were those final moments like as you gathered with your team in front of your goal? Um, a lot for them to come come to me, right? Um, I didn't know what to do. I think I was kind of in shock, couldn't believe it. Um, and it wasn't what I was expecting. They kind of, I thought they would be sad and almost like join me. But instead they lifted me up and they're like, we're good, you know? Um, and I think that reflects our team a lot. Um, we are good and it was a heck of a season and we battled this season. There were things we, we really, um, early in the season, you know, if you would have told me we would have been here, I wouldn't have believed you. As much as I would have wanted to, I wouldn't have believed you. But we battled, and for them to pick me up off my knees and uh, say, you know what, good game, good game. And uh, I truly believe this, these girls, um, they're going to take it next year. You know what, they they have it in them. Um, and it's going to be hard to watch them. I'm going to want to be out there, but um, I'll, I'll be a cheerleader. It'll be just a, a sweet victory uh, these next coming years. So. What you don't know is we're currently petitioning for an eighth year for you. Okay, okay so we'll get back to you on that. Uh, <laughs> let me think about that one. <laughs> I have surgery Friday, so we'll see how quick. <laughs> but Yeah, and for those that haven't seen what you have gone through in your deep blue feature and, and haven't followed closely, I mean, you've been dealing with shoulder issues and shoulder pain, and you've worked through so many different injuries. And, it, I mean, it's just been a wild ride for you to be in this position. So uh, walk us through now what's going to happen um, with surgery and, and what exactly you were playing through. Um, yeah, I feel really grateful um, to have been able to play this season. I, I thought I definitely was done last spring. Um, I was coming out every other week, and – trainer looked at me and she goes you're not playing next year <laughs> like there's no way I'm like I'm playing I am playing I will figure it out um and it my shoulder hung in there with me so I'm grateful only came out five or six times so that's like it's a big improvement um and my team hanging hung in there with me trusted me um so Friday get the surgery on my shoulder and knee they're doing it both in one procedure and hopefully put me back together a little bit and figure out life. I don't really, really know what I'm doing. I didn't really look past this point. I've tried to, but also just tried to soak in this. So. Okay. A lot to process there. Your shoulder only popped out five, five or six, five or six times. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, a, that's a, a massive improvement. I mean, it just shows your toughness. That's, it's an unbelievable. And you mentioned you have a knee procedure as well. So what type of a recovery process are we talking about? Do you have a timetable on that or what can we expect? Um, probably, I, def I meet with him Wednesday, my surgeon, but the shoulder will probably take 12 months. They're going to do some, they'll sew up the labrum and then do some bone grafts probably to, I don't really know what they're going to do. Hopefully make it better. <laughs> so, I don't know. Was it all worth it? It was all worth it. No regrets. Um, yeah, I can't imagine. I'd be kicking myself if I didn't uh, take this last year. So, grateful for the coaches letting me come back the team and uh putting up with me for one more season so let's put a bow on this how will you remember this season and the 2021 run that BYU women's soccer made to the national championship match 
Um, I'll remember my teammates. Uh, it's going to be hard. I've been able to keep in the tears, and but they're, you know, they're my best friends. And like I said, I don't think anyone knows the hard things we've gone through. It's kind of a team thing, right? Um, but it brought us really close, and it's going to be hard to get off that plane and not going to see them every day. So it's going to be hard, but. Um, got to be with a lot of alumni this weekend and see them come out and support us. And I know those relationships don't end. And those are things you remember and soak in. And um, these girls better not ditch me because <laughs> I'm counting on them to hang in there with me. And uh, these seniors that I'm walking off with, I'm going to become Kayla and Cam's biggest fans as they go take on the professional league. Um, and then the rest of us seniors, we'll just be their fangirls. We'll hype them up. Um, they're going to do big things. So we're excited for them. These interviews are never easy to do. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Congratulations on a fabulous career, Cassidy. We thank you for the time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Cassidy Smith, BYU Sports Nation, All Access one-on-one. -on -one. And, Jeremy, I just love how real and raw and genuine she was. And I meant what I said. Those, those interviews are so tough, and I just thought she was fantastic in that scenario. No, that was one of the best interviews that's ever aired on this program. I mean, Cassidy is such an incredible person. And she hung in there, shoulder popping out, knee, surgery Friday. That's unbelievable. Go watch your Deep Blue if you haven't seen it. We put it out there yesterday. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Money stuck in Oregon. What? Return of the quack? Let's discuss. Dick Harmon of the Deseret News tweeted the following yesterday uh, at 9 p.m. Hearing that Oregon is requesting Kalani Stocky to interview whether or not he does remains to be seen. Now, yesterday, Athletic Director for BYU, Tom Homo, of course, was on the program, and we asked him what's being done to secure Kalani Sitake's future with BYU. Here's what he said. Uh, we are in conversations with Kalani at this point in time, and He's our coach. We want him for a long time, and good things are going to happen in the near future. Okay, near future. Interesting. Uh, Sportsline odds on the next head coach at Oregon have Chip Kelly plus 150, Kalani Sitake plus 400. So what do you make of all of this, Spence? Uh, come on, Chip. That's what I make of it. <laughs> bring, bring the other guy back to Shut Oregon. Up, Chip. Take Kalani Sitake entirely out of the mix. Uh, this is understandable. And I think we all saw this coming. I know that Oregon waited a long time, but why would Oregon not reach out to Kalani Satake, a guy who knows the Pac-12 very well with all of his years as the defensive coordinator at Utah, the one year at Oregon State. He's played a bunch of Pac-12 teams and beaten a bunch of Pac-12 teams, especially this year, 5-0. and So why wouldn't Oregon reach out to Kalani Satake? This makes perfect sense, but it doesn't make it any less unsettling for BYU from an athletic department standpoint and from a fan standpoint. So it's, it's definitely, uh, as I said, unsettling. And, and you know, I, I just want to say, oh, no, please no, please no, not right now. BYU needs their head coach. They're, tr they're transitioning into a Power 5 conference. They're 21-3 and three in the last 24. Do whatever it takes to lock this guy down. And I think that BYU, as we heard from Tom Homo, is doing that. It's just a matter of, are things happening fast enough? 
Because as we are watching everything else unfold across the landscape of college football, Jerem, it is incredible how fast coaches change positions. It can happen in a matter of 24 hours. So it's like, okay, what has to happen in the next 24 hours for BYU to make Kalani Satake feel appreciated and validated and loved so that he's like, I'm good. I'm staying at BYU, taking my name entirely out of the mix. I, I just want things to be expedited. So I am, yeah, I, I'm not feeling great about it, but I hope that this is maybe the news or the, the shove that whoever may be holding something up or not allowing this to happen fast, they, they get the message and they, they lock Kalani Satake up like yesterday. That's how I'm feeling. Yeah, Tom says good things are going to happen in the near future. That just screams that they've been chatting, that they're reworking something else. Sure. And let's yes. talk about it. For those who are naive, well, he's already under contract. What's the big deal? Didn't they renew him through 25 in August? Uh, he just went 10-2 and two against arguably the toughest schedule in BYU history, top to bottom. Um, you have to redo a deal to keep him because there's interest from other schools. Let's be not, not be naive. There's been interest in Kalani Sataki prior to this year. In fact, Chip Kelly was interested in Kalani after 2017 to be his D.C. Kalani said no. He stayed at BYU, right? Um, th- there have been opportunities that Kalani has turned down. We know Kalani Sataki wants to be here, but, but everybody's got a price, bro. Everybody. Do we believe that Salt Lake can match what Oregon would give him? Yes. Do we believe that Salt Lake would match it? I don't. There are certain certain amount of funds that, you know, are willing to be splurged on. Um, You know, a lot of that, when it comes to a temple, you know, it's all out. When it comes to the head coach of BYU, it's not necessarily the same thing, right? Um, and, And there are varying degrees of thought about whether to, why to do that or why not to do that and whatnot. But, I believe that BYU can pay Kalani Sitake a competitive wage that would keep him here at BYU. I I believe that. I also believe that going in and that he wants to be here. But if the price is too high and Oregon actually wants Kalani to be the guy, they could offer him something that is pretty enticing. So this is an interesting and perhaps dangerous situation for BYU. I think in the end, and I think you feel this way too, Kalani will end up at at BYU and, and this won't be a thing, but... It's Oregon, and it's Phil Knight, and it's Nike money. Like, that is some big-time stuff. Like, listen, you and I have been at BYU for a long time, but if the, if the price was right, we'd consider something else too. Like, anybody would. Let's not act like everybody's a robot. Everybody's human, and they want to help their family as best they can, and that's life-changing money. Bronco sure. Mendenhall left for Virginia, who stinks. But they, like, trip, doubled or tripled the salary, and that was an enticing new opportunity. Yet... Kalani Sitake is building something pretty special right here. You talked about it, 21-3 and three the last two years. This year was more impressive than last year because BYU had to do it again and against a tougher schedule and with no Zach Wilson, Brady Christensen, Dax Milne, right? Going into the Big 12, that's all exciting. You finally, you finally get over the hump and beat Utah. You finally put together the validating season as a Power 5 type team. You're on the New Year's 6 just barely outside by literally a foot. This is an exciting time, so hopefully – Hopefully, uh, you know, things work out and, and BYU still has Kalani Sitake. Heck, Oregon might let Kalani continue to wear navy and royal blue together <laughs> if that's part of the deal. I no mean, way. They're probably ready to throw in whatever. <laughs> no way. Uh, not to mention the 78 shades of green. Um, I hate to even think about that. But you and I, we, we love analogies that compare to 
dating and marriage, and we use them often. I, I feel like this is exact. This is the perfect scenario for that. BYU is courting Kalani Satake, and they are, let's say, engaged right now. They want to be married for a long time. When you are interested in somebody, you want to talk to them all the time, be around them as much as possible, cater to their every need, and I'm sure that's what BYU is doing right now. I would hope. That the communication is, if it's not ramped up, it, it should be right now where you're texting and you're calling and you're going to get lunches for them and you're giving them rides wherever they need. You are willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that your special person feels extra special to bring them back. Because if you don't, then some other suitor is going to swoop in and take your dream scenario away. So I, I would think, based on Tom Holmo's comments and the scenario now, because all of the, the high-level coaches around the country, most of them are swept up. They're gone. The suitors have come and gone. So if you want to hold on to your special someone, you got to do it now. It's got to be now, and it's got to be consistent, and the communication level has to be constant. And I'm just hoping that BYU is doing that. I think they are. I hope they're doing that so that Kalani feels validated, appreciated, and they can lock him in now because the time crunch is on, my friend. And next Wednesday is signing day. There's a bunch of recruits that want to play for Kalani, want to play for Aaron Roderick and Elias Tuyaki and Fessy Sataki and all these guys. That's interesting timing, too. Uh, Tom, Tom said good things are going to happen in the near future. So near future could be days, man. Uh, I mean, this could happen quick. Either way, uh, we hope that you know Kalani stays at BYU. It's obvious that B- Kalani loves BYU. Watch the Deep Blue. Watch him talk about BYU. He wants to be here for a long time, and they're building stuff. He wants to win a national championship here. Um, he wants to do something special. So I believe that BYU will get it done, and he'll stay at BYU. But again, Oregon could throw a pretty big number at him that not every school can. Yes. I mean, we're talking about, you know, I mean – Seven and a half to eight million dollars a Why year. Why wouldn't it be ten? That's well, like ge- generational money. Yes, the, and you know Lincoln Riley gets a ten-year, a hundred and ten million dollar contract at USC, and then Mel Tucker at Michigan State gets a ten-year deal, and he's getting nine and a half million a year or whatever it is. The, you don't this think is Phil crazy would, money that Oregon can compete with? Yes. Absolutely. Phil Knight and Nike in Oregon, they can compete with that if they want somebody badly enough. The question is, do they want Kalani Satake at that number yeah. for that long? Uh, we'll find out in the coming days. Or maybe not. Maybe we don't hear anything of it. They hire somebody else. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Top 5 Tuesday presented by Delta Airlines in the B Terminal. Exactly 25 years to the day, BYU beat Wyoming in the 1996 WAC Championship game. On Ethan Potchman's game-winning field goal in overtime, today we look back at the top 5 plays from that memorable season. All right, Jeremy, at number five, the CFL Hall of Famer Ben Cahoon and his diving catch against Texas A&M in the Pigskin Classic. Deep post route to put the Cougars in the red zone. Lay it out. Beautiful catch. He say later, Ben Wood, that that was probably the best catch of my life. BYU won in a shootout 41-37. 
Number four, Ethan Potchman nails a 32-yard field goal in overtime to beat Wyoming 28-25 in the WAC title game at Sam Boyd Stadium in those rickety north end zone seats. Potchman had four field goals in the night. You and I were there, Spence. This year, KSL put out some video that I had never seen of 13-year-old me with my sister Whitney and Aunt Angie on the field, <laughs> which is pro- awesome. My uh, Dwight Schrute haircut was also awesome. You look amazing, man. <laughs> Number three, also amazing. We go back to the Pigskin Classic against Texas A&M. This time, it's the KO Punch from Steve Sarkeesian to KO Kalalui. 46-yard touchdown catch to win the game. BYU got the ball back with a minute and a half. Down three, needed 30 seconds to complete that game-winning drive. Number two, let's go to the Cotton Bowl. Sarkeesian finds Kalalui again, but in the end zone to take a late 1915 lead. On Kansas State, the 28-yard touchdown on third down helped complete a second-half 10-point comeback in BYU's only New Year's Day Bowl. Aren't those New Year's Day games fun? At number one, Omar Morgan with a heads-up from his buddy Ed Keel. At the line, made the call, said the slant's coming. Interception to seal the game, makes the play of the year, cut off that slant route, tipped it to himself, and came down with the game winner. What a glorious day, January 1st, 1997. Oh, it was beautiful. Love that play. So good. Those are the top five plays then by Delta Airlines. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The NCAA is pushing to remove the early signing period in December and push it back to at least January, if not to the original day. It's always been the first Wednesday of February. I don't understand why they have it on the heels of the season. Why wouldn't you give them time to get out and recruit? Like, why do we have December at all? I don't know. Why not just do it? Which is probably why they're discussing it (laughs) and likely to move it back. Maybe a reverse flow there and just eliminate December. Welcome I like back. it in December, though, so from an entertainment standpoint. It's just more content. But, but it makes more sense logistically to push it to February. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation live from Studio B. Now more bracketology talk because, yes, it's December, and both BYU basketball teams are rolling right now. We're going to yeah. focus on the men specifically and their side of the bracket. Joe Lunardi has BYU as a six seed. Four different West Coast Conference teams in, Jerem. <laughs> None of those four. In Dayton, in the opening round. All four were first round buys. What a win! Yes! Okay. And BYU playing six different tournament teams that are in the projected field, plus two teams in the first eight out, Utah State and San Diego State, just outside of Lenardi's bracketology. What's the most impressive part of everything that I just told you? That he has San Francisco in. I don't believe San Francisco will make the NCAA tournament. And not even just in but not one of the first four. Like, yeah, they're, they're, in, they're, in. they're an 11th seed, 7th in. So uh, BYU's a 6, St. Mary's a 10, Gonzaga 1, obviously, still. USF, 7th uh, in, 11th seed. WCC with more than the Pac-12 and American with four at this point. Um, it's, it's cute that San Francisco is, you know, they're doing great work. They're 10-0. They're having an, an amazing start. I just don't believe when the dust settles that San Francisco will actually be in the NCAA tournament. Now, that would be awesome. If San Francisco stays this good, they won't. If they stay this good, that would really help BYU. Like, really, really, really help BYU. Because we've been like, all right, Gonzaga's going to boost BYU's resume. If BYU somehow gets a win against Gonzaga, huge win. That opportunity is awesome. 
get used to that because in the Big 12, there will be like four to six of those kind of games a year, which is crazy. St. Mary's is back. Like, they're turning good. They're, they're really good. They returned everybody from last year that stunk, but they are much improved. Excited for those games. San Francisco could really boost BYU's resume. Uh, w- will the game in San Francisco be a bigger game than we thought before the season? Yeah. I'm not saying San Francisco can't beat BYU per se. I'm just saying, in the end, this is really fun for San Francisco in December. The fact that four West Coast Conference teams are in right now and none are playing in Dayton in the opening round is the most interesting little tidbit. But I'm not ready to call it impressive because it's so early. The thing that is most impressive to me is that Mark Pope, once again, with an entirely turned-over roster other than Alex Barcelo, it feels like, and a few other guys that came off the bench last year, has BYU pacing as a six seed once again six, and man. in the top 25. Six. Crazy. AB is the key to all that, by the way. We if he thought, didn't come back, yeah. BYU's maybe not even a tournament team. We, we said as much on the air that when Alex Barcelo decided to come back that, okay, now BYU is again in the tournament conversation. We think they're a tournament team with Alex yeah. Barcelo on the roster. No one thinks BYU's not a single-digit seed right now. You know what I mean? Right, but we, didn't, we weren't sure like, if BYU was just going to sneak in because well, what in the world – or are they going to put around Alex Barcella? What other pieces could they add? And they bring in Seneca Knight. They bring in T. John Lucas. They bring in Fusini Traore. They've got Atiki Ali Atiki. And BYU is doing so. They're a projected 68-1 without Richard Harward and now without Gavin Baxter. That, to me, is the most impressive thing. That BYU is there even with two major injuries and a roster that looks nothing like it did last year. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, bracket Matrix, the earliest we've ever gone to it. I just pulled it up. Bracket Matrix. 29 brackets, BYU's a six as well. So there you go, as of a week ago. Boy. We're, so that included the UVU loss. We're getting into Bracket Matrix early this year. Why? Because it's fun. Because football is in it. not playing until next week. That's why. <laughs> and soccer and volleyball. We need to get into teamrankings.com, too, and see what BYU is projected as there. These are, these are all of the things that we typically discuss January through March. But why not in December when BYU basketball is pacing for something special? Okay. No, so I'm looking it up. <laughs> Does TeamRankings.com think the WCC is as good as Joe Lenardi says that the West Coast Conference is? Or as my uh, friend Aaron Walichko at the WCC offices calls it, the Best Coast Conference. The Best Coast Conference. <laughs> Maybe they didn't even have the bracketology or the team rankings metrics out yet. It's so early. That's the thing. It's so unique that we are here. BYU is a six seed in these major college basketball prognosticators' rundowns, and we still have three months. We're not even in the conference yet, Jerem. What else are they going to do? We're not in the conference yet. Okay, 76% chance to make the tourney from team rankings. Okay. Most likely seed seven. So, yeah, six or seven is what you know multiple sources now are saying, which is super exciting. BYU's got to keep it up, though. You have Creighton. Uh, good game. That's quad two. Hopefully that becomes quad one later. Weber State is... Weber State's uh, quad one right now. Pacing to be a really good game? Will Weber State stay in the top, 70, top 75? We hope that's quad two. You know you know what Weber State is better than? Oregon and San Diego State, according to quad. Wow. Crazy, right? Weber State lost for the first time this week. Yeah. Yeah, go, go, uh, go Wildcats. Let's go. Yeah, it's so far so good for BYU. Looking good. Ken Palm, top 25 in the AP poll. Let's go, man. All right. Net 
20 today. Let's go. We got to get to our double down picks at some point, right? <laughs> hey, let's not leave the women out of this. They are a four seed. Uh, Gonzaga sixth out right now, by the way. In four, a four seed. That's amazing. And we just talked about: Do they have room to get better? Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, if they there's keep winning, yeah. there's there's room to move up, be a top ten team in women's basketball. And this team's three, good enough. They have all seed? the pieces. Now we're talking about. Advancing deep into now, the NCAA tournament. Sweet 16, good. Let's go. That's the, that's the women's hoops projection. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, on BYU TV and BYU Radio.